Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strink. There are many interesting things happening in and around the field of pathology. And on this podcast, I speak with the people that are doing those things. And one of those people is my guest today, Dr. Melanie Boyce. Dr. Boyce is a pathologist specializing in cardiovascular pathology, and she's also the host of another podcast, the Society for Cardiovascular Pathology podcast. Today on the show, we'll talk about Dr. Boyce's experience with being named an ASCP 40 Under 40 honoree, as well as being named to the Pathologist Magazine Power List. We'll talk about her work with 3D printing of pathology specimens and the application of that technology. And we'll talk about the Society for Cardiovascular Pathology and their podcast. This episode was a lot of fun, and I really learned a lot from Dr. Boyce, and I hope you do too. Uh, Dr. Melanie Boyce, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'd like to start with, uh, go back to 2017. Uh, You were named an ASCP 40 Under 40 honoree. Can you tell me what was that experience like? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was really an incredible honor. Um, I'm grateful to the ASCP for the recognition and for including me in such a prestigious award. Um, The 40 Under 40 Award is really given to individuals who demonstrate leadership and innovation in pathology. And uh, just the mere thought that I would be counted among those incredible individuals is is still really hard for me to fathom. Um, Mm -hmm. But as an awardee, we were featured in the ASCP's journal, Critical Values, um, and on their website and in social media. Uh, It was really a phenomenal experience and one that really built collegiality among the awardees, too. Okay. And then uh, the following year, you were uh, named to the the Pathologist Magazine uh, power list. Yeah, and another another really incredible honor. Um, so Pathologist Magazine is a really phenomenal um, a piece of literature for our field. Um, and yes. the Powerless really celebrates the innovators in um, laboratory medicine and pathology. Uh, so again, we were featured in their journal on social media outlets. And um, it was really incredible to be counted among those who are leading our field by such an impactful group as the Pathologist Magazine. Yeah, I love what the pathologist is doing. It's a different, it's different than your usual sort of pathology journal because it's more focused yeah. on uh, the the people and the right. work that they're, has, they're doing. I completely agree with you that that um, humanistic side of things really personalizes the field and um, kind of and makes people relate to it a little bit better. I think. Sure, sure, and all of this was this was pretty early on in your career, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah, and and for that, I'm I'm uh, I'm really grateful to have that kind of award so early on. Um, right. I'm just starting out at, at um, Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, so I've been on staff here for a little over a year now, um, and enjoying every second of it, and learning a lot certainly, and um, mm-hmm. continuing to try and um, uh, publish where I can, particularly in the field of cardiovascular pathology, where a lot of my um, research is focused. Okay. How did you become interested in cardiovascular pathology specifically? 
Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't something that I came into medical school wanting wanting to do or really knowing that much about uh, pathology in general really wasn't on my radar. But I had some phenomenal teachers during medical school who um, really taught me the value of pathology and how much it can impact our patients' lives. And I found myself really looking forward to their lectures more than any of the others. And okay. I started shadowing in, in the field you know, when I was in medical school and during residency, I actually found cardiovascular pathology, primarily exposure through my autopsy rotation and the teachers that I had there. Okay. Uh, so going back to the ASCP, the 40 under 40 thing, how, how does that, mm -hmm. how does that process work? I mean, imagine you get nominated and then, and then what happens? Um, so then I believe it goes through a screening process composed of uh, ASCP members as well as uh, prior 40 under 40 um, awardees. And then the actual awards are, are given out at that time um, once the screening process happens. After that, then there is a top five that is selected. Now, my year, I was not selected to the top five, but um, for very very good reasons. There are some phenomenal people in my class of <laughs> awardees and yeah. um, really people who des deserve to be there. Okay. And then I, uh, you had to make a, a video I saw. Uh, yes. For the, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, what, what was that like? How, how did that go? Um, that was great. I uh, That was before I, I really had a, an office. So uh, my mentor, Dr. Joseph Malachewski, allowed me to use his office and uh, just did a video there really talking a lot about the 3D printing and 3D image acquisition that we're working on within our field, particularly in cardiovascular pathology, but with broad application to pathology in general. Yeah, in the video, you actually had a 3D printed slice of, of a heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit more about the three D printing? That that's something that I find very fascinating. Oh yeah, I I would love to talk about this. I think it's a it's a really neat application that we're starting to come into in pathology, and um, the it's basically limitless as far as its applications go. So, just to take a step back. Basically, the discipline of pathology has really traditionally relied on two dimensional photographs to document, to record, to communicate disease processes and relevant anatomy. And right. we've really excelled at it. I mean, we, we've done a very good job being able to communicate through our images. But I think it's important as we continue to develop as a field and as technology continues to develop, that we harness and embrace new technologies, um, because otherwise I think we're at risk of being pushed aside by them. So when we first uh, were exposed to surface 3D scanning, scanning um, that was through uh, two individuals who run the anatomic modeling uh, lab here at Mayo Clinic, Drs. Jane uh, Matsumoto and Jay Morris. And then uh, again, uh, Dr. Malachewski really led the, the push from our division of anatomic pathology side. Our goals were really twofold when, when we came into contact with this sort of technology. One, we wanted to improve clinical acumen and documentation. And then two, we wanted to provide learners with novel methods of experiencing pathology. So okay. essentially, the, the process of it really involves first image acquisition, and you need a device to do that. So our, our first trial runs or our first scans were done on this handheld device that looked kind of like an iron and um, basically used LED oh. lights to um, process the image. And then it took that processing and translated it into a computer-based software. 
now we're using this custom designed um, sort of large light box type of thing where you put the object inside, you press go, and then multiple cameras take photographs of the object um, from multiple angles as it turns on a round table. These images are then all synthesized into a high resolution digital 3D object. Okay. So then, uh, you know, from there, once you have the object, you kind of have two pathways to experiencing or learning from it. So firstly, you can scan, you can use the scanned object digitally from your computer or from a handheld device. You can zoom in, you can zoom out, you can turn it from different angles, etc. Or you can print it and you can physically hold that object in your hand. And the real bonus there is that it's no longer a biohazard like our organic material and our formalin is. It's made out of a resin, so it can be transported and um, utilized in teaching purposes without gloves and without inconveniences related to organic material that we're used to, to sharing. Okay. And then from there, I mean, really the, the advantages and applications are very broad. I mean, clinically, we can use it to document relevant anatomic relationships. We can document tumor size, gross characteristics. I mean, think of tumor mapping for microscopic sections. You can imagine using something like this, a tumor board, for instance, to communicate the extent or the complexity of disease. From an educational standpoint, we've actually moved this technology live into interfacing with our transplant patients here at Mayo. So okay. for every heart and lung transplant that a patient has here at our institution, the patient is invited to meet with a pathologist about their disease. We review their gross pathology, and then we provide a 3D printed model of a portion of their explanted organ to them. And then, you know, from a medical student or medical trainee standpoint, you, you can think about printing these specimens in multiple for them to transport friendly home or office learning. You can even envision something like a virtual grossing textbook, so to speak, or being able to share these specimens with underserved areas or areas that don't have access to the breadth of pathology that we're very fortunate to have here. So really only limited by oh, sure. your imagination. How, how long does it take once you've scanned? How long does it take to print the It actually the model? doesn't take too long. So the rendering process, wherein all of the photographs are all uh, synthesized together, probably takes uh, 90 minutes to two hours, depending on the complexity of it. And then we send it okay. over to our anatomic modeling unit, and they're able to print it usually by the next day if it's an overnight run or something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. And then yeah. it, you said it's, it's printed in resin. Is that... Are there other materials you could use or is, or is that uh, the only You know, one? that's that's kind of the standard. Um, I think there are other materials that, that can be used. Certainly getting that correct anatomic coloration has been a tricky component for us, trying to optimize that versus a monochromatic coloration. Like our, our first models, for instance, were all hot pink or, you know, were, were oh, red wow. or something like that. Um, so we had only one color. But now we're actually able to apply what's what's basically the the texture that's called texture within the um, software, but is it essentially the coloration of the specimen so that it accurately reflects what you're looking at in the gross specimen itself. Okay, sure. Um, can you print? Oops, I was thinking like if if you were printing a specimen, say that had a tumor in it, mm -hmm. 
can you can you do that so there's sort of a separately demarcated tumor in the center of the rest of the model does it does it print in layers like that so you can print it it basically takes however the the specimen looks so if you wanted to dissect it like that and then if you wanted to have the tumor separately and then the the cavity that it came out of for instance scan both of those and then you could put it back together that would certainly be okay. feasible did okay. i did i answer your question correctly with that yeah yeah, yeah okay what I'm trying to get at is I wonder if you could use something like this to learn grossing, say. Ah. If you could print it in a material that's softer and then, you know, have a have a, a tumor or something inside. Yeah. Is that I, would that be something that would work? Exactly. Yes. And that's something that we're we're really excited about. We haven't made any progress in actually doing this, but certainly conceivably what one could do is, for instance, gross a heart the norm the normal way that you would um, at the time of okay. autopsy and then be able to you scan each piece individually and then you can piece them back together using magnets or however you want to you know put them back together and then use that as a hands-on grossing model or grossing sort of teaching tool for that particular purpose so almost a, a virtual or 3d printed grossing handbook or textbook Okay, so you would scan each individual slice and mm -hmm. then sort of piece them, put back, them together. back together. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And print that. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense. This is uh, this technology is fascinating. I, I read, you know, every time I see an article about something with three D printing, it's just amazing how, how far this has come in, in a in a very short time. I agree completely, and we're really excited it, about it. We want to we want to try to embrace it here and use it in our practice as much as possible. Sure, sure. I can understand that. Um, where I work, I know they use three D printed models for um, some reconstructive surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you yeah. you can um, use the models and render them from um, images, so uh, radiology images like CT or MRI, mm -hmm. and that helps a lot with surgical yeah. planning. It helps patients too to understand the relationship of their tumor to certain organs, or really kind of conceptualize where that lesion is within their body. With pathology surface scanning, it's really just whatever you see is what you get. So we couldn't, if you had a gross specimen that wasn't cut, for instance, let's take a, a mastectomy specimen, you okay. only get the external portion of whatever you see as part right. of the surface scanning. So you wouldn't see the tumor inside unless you cut it and then scanned both sides and put it back together, you know, to show that whole experience of actually grossing it and identifying the tumor. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Now I, I want to move on to the Society for Cardiovascular Pathology, Yeah. Uh, which I know you're a part of and active in. Can you tell me about this organization? What is it and uh, what is it, what does it do? I'd love to. Thanks for asking about them. Yeah, the the Society of Cardiovascular Pathology, it's it's really a group of international individuals and we're all interested to interested in and, and dedicated to the advancement of cardiovascular disorders. The organization was officially started, I believe, back in 1985, um, but it's still going strong today. And I, I will say we were we're relatively small when it 
comes to a comparison to other pathology subspecialties. But honestly, that that small nature of it fosters a feeling of collegiality and mutual support among the members. I mean, you get to know people very well. And um, <clears throat> for that reason, it's, it's a really fun group to be a part of. I mean, we're all just sharing the same passion and um, meet once a year around the time of the United States and Canadian Academy of Pathology meeting to review literature and cases. We meet about consensus documents and discuss our society journal, which is aptly called the cardiovascular pathology. Okay. And uh-huh. go ahead. Oh, I, I was just, I was going to see if it would be okay if I could put in a plug and just say that we're we're always looking for new members. I mean, we we love new members of any experience level. If you are interested in cardiovascular pathology, if you have a passion for it, if you just think you might be interested, we welcome you to reach out to one of us to attend our meetings and um, really a, a friendly group that's very non-threatening and we we would love to have you as part of our society. Oh, okay, that that's awesome. I'll uh, I'll put a link to. Uh their website in the in the show notes for sure oh that'd be awesome thanks dennis yeah you're welcome okay and then uh coming off of the society of cardiovascular pathology they have a podcast now which you host uh Mm -hmm. how did how did that come about yeah so the idea um for the podcast was really the brainchild of our our current scvp president dr james stone of massachusetts general hospital i think it it was his his insight into the fact that, you know, as as podcasts gain in popularity, technology really tends to provide companionship for individuals who are commuting to and from work. And so he conceived of the idea that SCVP should really occupy a digital footprint in this space, probably much like you did with the conception of um, the People of Pathology uh, podcast. So um, he discussed the concept with me um, because I'm a member of our publications committee and a a board counselor for SCVP at our last meeting about a year ago. Um, And we agreed to move forward and really wanted to be able to provide educational content that would enhance learning in our field and provide outreach and awareness of our society. So I think ultimately we're we're aiming for, you know, maybe uh, one episode each quarter focused on relevant topics in cardiovascular pathology. Okay. The first episode had uh, Dr. Gail Winters on it. Yeah. She, she talked about transplant pathology, yes. which, which was very interesting in a lot of the history of that. And that's another thing that has come a long way. Yeah. Oh, it sure has. Um, Dr. Gail Winters was fantastic to interview. I mean, she she's a pro at this, and she really um, had a, a fascinating insight into the history of it and how we diagnose yes. transplant and how we how we see it from our side, from the pathology side. So we really enjoyed, you know, having her as a guest there. And yes, transplant has come a long way. It's something that um, continues to be a really strong option for individuals who are facing you know, life-threatening disease from cardiovascular, you know, health reasons, uh, a wide variety of them. So we, we're excited that we are able to offer that and, and provide support in conjunction with our transplant con- clinicians for those patients. Sure, sure. Is transplant pathology, is that a large part of your practice there at, at Mayo? We do have quite a bit of transplant. Um, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't go so far to say as we're the most active in the country. Um, I certainly don't think that's the case, but we do see a fair bit of transplant, particularly in the cardiac side of things. 
And so from that standpoint, not only do you get the explanted specimen, but you do get endomyocardial biopsies that we basically use to grade rejection and then our clinical colleagues use to guide um, immunosuppression regimen and try to optimize, you know, keeping the immune system from rejecting the organ, but not going so far as to make the patient more susceptible to being ill by too much immunosuppression. Sure, sure. And, and Dr. Winters talked quite a bit about about that mm -hmm. the, the biopsy specimens on the, on the podcast episode yes what would what would you say for, for the podcast what would be your sort of target audience for that is it other pathologists is it you know the general public or who are you who are you trying to reach it's a great question i think um for the most part we think that our general audience will be other pathologists we think that they'll be the most aware of the current topics and current issues in cardiovascular pathology and be most interested in hearing updates regarding that that said anyone with an interest in cardiovascular medicine or cardiovascular pathology is is certainly welcome and and we would love feedback on episodes that that might reach a more a broader audience and might be of interest to other groups of individuals as well. I, I have to say, uh, be, being a PA, I, I would like to hear more about the explanted specimens okay. and how, mm -hmm. uh, how, how to dissect those. I think that would be very interesting. Yeah, we would love to do that. It's a great idea. Great. Great. So how, how, do, how does your process work for the podcast? I mean, you, you arrange the guest and then you know, what's, what sort of setup are you at like in a professional studio or, or mm, yeah, how, that, how does it work? That took a while for me to try and figure out. I, I can't say that I know mm. a lot of, I knew a lot about podcasting before I started this adventure. And so trying to identify, me either. yeah, it's really quite a steep learning curve. Yes, it is. But as you well know, I mean, the options are you can record it in a private studio. You can have your own um, equipment, which can be quite costly. And then you have to focus not only in the recording and optimizing that, but also editing and being able to then blast that podcast essentially to your different servers or your different podcast host companies. So right. I'll say that um, my institution, Mayo Clinic, was phenomenal in helping me navigate that. They have podcast Mayo Clinic laboratories, and they were they helped me through the process of exactly how to do it and how to best affect the podcast, I guess, is the best way to say it. So they actually okay. offered me um, use of their studio to record this preliminary episode. And that was a really great experience too, being able to use the studio with the professional equipment and our manager there who does a lot of the editing. Um, and so I was incredibly grateful for that as opposed to having to rent a studio or equipment and getting that all set up um, from a personal standpoint. Oh, nice. So you had... A lot of professionals. I did helping you. That's, yes, that's a great advantage. It really is. It really is. Yeah, yeah. And the, so the podcast is available on the Podbean site. Uh, is it available elsewhere? It is. We're on Spotify and uh, okay. Google Chrome, as well as the the Podbean website. The link is on Twitter, and I believe it's on Facebook as well. I'd have to double check that. But um, multiple okay. multiple ways to listen if you're interested. Yeah, that's great. It's uh, there are a lot of different ways to listen to podcasts these days, and uh, Podbean especially makes it real easy to 
to share it to all those different uh, uh, it formats. sure does. That was a, a great server, and again, uh, guidance that I received of really recommending that website, and it's it's been phenomenal for us so far. Great. Um, I, I'll definitely share the link to uh, the podcast as well in the show notes, and I really recommend everybody listen to it. That the first ep episode was was very interesting. I, I loved it. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate that. Is there is there uh, anything else uh, you'd like to mention that I haven't asked you? I think we covered most of it. No, I mean, I really just um, wanted to be able to put in a plug for the SCVP. We have our um, companion meeting coming up uh, in conjunction or uh, near the same time as the United States and Canadian Academy of Pathology um, annual meeting in LA next week. So our okay. uh, companion meeting is on Saturday night um, and then Sunday morning. And you can look for details of that. I'll have it on Twitter and hopefully on Facebook here shortly as well. And we just welcome you. If you want to reach out to me and, and say, hey, I'm coming. Can you look for me? Can I have a buddy system? I'm happy to do that. I would love to introduce you to people and to make sure you have a great experience while you're um, uh, visiting cardiovascular pathology. Okay. Uh, can I share your uh, Twitter handle in the show notes as well? Oh, please do. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. I'll, I will do that. Uh, Dr. Boyce, thank you. This has been very interesting. Uh, thank you much for, for coming on. Oh, thank you so much, Dennis, for the invitation. It was, it was wonderful. And congratulations on all your work with the People of Pathology podcast. It's a, it's a really fantastic podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing even more episodes. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Great big thank you to Dr. Melanie Boyce. Now, again, the title of the podcast she hosts is the Society for Cardiovascular Pathology podcast. I definitely recommend you check it out. You can follow Dr. Boyce and the SCVP on Twitter, and I'll have those links in the show notes. The notes can be found at my website, peopleofpathology.podbean.com. And if you'd like to let me know what you think of the show, uh, you can email me. Uh, the link is in the website. Uh, just click the contacts us the top right. You can follow the show on Twitter at People of Path. And of course, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you'd like to leave a rating and review, I'd very much appreciate it. I am a member and the CFO of the American Association of Pathologist Assistants. This show does not necessarily represent the views of the AAPA and receives no financial support from the AAPA. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.